Well, welcome to the first Sunday in 2022. We made it, and 2021 is officially in the rearview mirror. We can look behind at it and move forward. And there's a couple of things that are true now and always will be true. God is in control. Jesus still saves, and our hope is real. We have that hope in Jesus Christ, and that is good news. And just so you know, it's officially the warmest Sunday in the new year. It's the only one we've had at this point, but uh, we'll take what we can get, right? <laughs> so hopefully your car started this morning and you made it in without completely freezing. Uh, so thank you for being here. And for those of you online, uh, thank you for joining us as well. We learned a few valuable lessons this last year. Uh, reflecting on those as I was just thinking about in preparation for my sermon, there's a lot of things that we learned that are important and a lot of things we learned that are not important when it comes to this last year that we lived and the coming year that we're moving into. Uh, some things that I learned are not so important that you can live without. Uh, I've learned to live without less news and less social media. <laughs> and I'm better because of it. I have way less anxiety if I only check in once a week or even less than that, just to see what's going on, but not to get myself worked up. But other things I cannot live without. And I want to just acknowledge that life without people is hard, right? That when we have those moments when we are unable to be with somebody because um, of a COVID situation or because of a weather delay and getting someplace, so many flights were canceled this holiday, or uh, even the loss of loved ones, as there have been uh, many people who've lost loved ones recently, it's hard to do life without people. And in fact, living with people is transformational to us, right? The encouragement that we get from that word from a friend or kind word from a spouse or a son or daughter or brother or sister, that those words are just are so impactful in the presence of just being with somebody really does transform us, right? It helps our mental health. And when our mental health is good, then our physical health follows suit. And we have all these different spiritual ramifications from just being with other people, the prayers that you get. Um, I, just the other night, my, my young daughter, as I was going to bed early, excited to get up early the next morning, she came and tucked me in and said, Dad, can I pray for you? And just the sweetness in hearing her concern for me, right? That, that the relationships we have for each other is so important. And that's something we just cannot live without. But these things that are important, some of them are so important, they impact multiple areas of our lives. And I'm going to teach you a term this morning. You may have heard this before, but uh, this term is called keystone. And what a keystone is, it is the, the most important thing in a system, right? It is the most vital part of that system. So here are some examples. Um, in the ecosystem, uh, one keystone that you'll find are bees. You don't see them super often. Maybe when you do, they annoy you. But if we don't have bees, we don't have produce. We don't have flowers. We don't have a lot of the things that we do because they pollinate and create, really promote the growth. But they're a small part of an ecosystem that if you remove them, there's a transformational impact over the entire system. Other parts of the ecosystem would be the circuit breaker in your house. <laughs> you may or may not notice it or think about it most days of the week, but the second you go to plug in the crock pot, the hair straightener, and the heater, and maybe a few other appliances and fry that puppy, all of a sudden you're like, all right, kids don't have Wi-Fi, they're not doing well, things are just breaking down in our world. Like, this is a real issue. Small thing, big impact over a big system, right? Another one that I find is really important, I noticed this recently, is my wife. 
So my wife recently decided that she was going to uh, take Sunday as her Sabbath. And I said, yes, you know, the pastor and me is like, oh yeah, you go for that. Take Sunday as your Sabbath. I, I typically take a Friday because I work Sunday. So um, we each find our own places to find that time with the Lord just to rest. And she said, I'm going to rest on Sunday. She said, I'm, I'm going to do so by not preparing meals. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know, and I'm like cheering for and excited about this. And it didn't really dawn on me what that meant. Um, and then we get to one of the Sundays that her Sabbath landed on and, you know, three o'clock rolls around and four o'clock rolls around and five and pretty soon the kids are starting to get angsty and looking at me and asking for snacks. And I'm like, what time is it? You know, you're going to spoil your dinner. And then it just dawned on me, like, we're not getting dinner. Like, this is going to be a problem. So then it turned into uh, dad's 425 night, which is anything that cooks in the oven at 425 is what's for supper. But my wife is a keystone in our home, and without her, we don't do well, <laughs> right? And you just don't think about all the things that a keystone does in a system. And sometimes they're underappreciated or uncelebrated, but if you remove them, bad things happen, right? One small element with a massive, massive impact. What are the keystones in your life? If you were to think about this last year, what you could live without and what you couldn't live without— what are those things? As you think about them, what are they? What might they be? Many consider this time of year is a goal-setting time. Some people just punt on it and say, I'm done goal-setting. Other people are like, oh yeah, and they're like, I've got 30 goals, and they're checking them off, and everyone's got somewhere in between. There's, there's some approach to it. But what I want to encourage you today is to set two goals, and I want you to spend the most time on doing what's going to have the greatest potential impact. Because all of us only have 24 hours in a day. And in that 24 hours, if you could pick one or two things that doing these things would have the greatest impact over your entire life, would you do them? And would you spend time doing things that only had a small impact when you know you have such little time? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So as we think about this, I want to read from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Timothy. It's also on our church app. You can check it out there, um, and it'll be on the screen behind me. But just by way of warning, I am going to jump around to some passages that are not going to be on the screen or in the notes. So if you got your Bible handy, or you can just listen, and I'll read them to you. Uh, but this is 1 Timothy 4, chapter 8, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. As you look at the horizon of 2022, there's a lot of things that you could choose to do with your time. Lots of things, right? There's so many good opportunities. We live in a culture where there are more things that you could do than you have time for. I mean, just open up the church bulletin. There are classes and opportunities for youth and kids and adults and singles and all kinds of stuff all over just at our church. But then you broaden your horizon a little bit to the schools that your kids attend and you look at sports schedules and, and hobbies and recreations and, and, and then you get bigger into the, your family life and who wants you over for what holiday and then how many friends want you to come over to their house. And, and then pretty soon you just get overwhelmed. Because there's not enough days, there's not enough weekends to do all the things you love to do and be with all the people you love to be with. It's just way too much sometimes. And this is one of the greatest problems that we face as a culture. Jim Collins said it this way. He was an, an author, uh, just a great businessman. He said this, good 
is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. And his point was simple. His point was that you could do a lot of good things, but if you only settle on doing good things, that becomes the enemy of doing great things because it distracts you from doing what is great. And I think Paul, in a lot of ways here in Timothy, is telling Timothy, hey, look, you know, take care of yourself physically. That's important. It's of some value. But if you were to pick one thing to train yourself in, and you had to choose between going to the gym and reading your Bible, paraphrasing this a little bit, but the truth is there, train yourself for godliness. Because not only does it have an impact in your life now, it also has spiritual consequence in a positive way. It has promise for the future. Whereas these bodies, entropy is going to take place. <laughs> Gravity is going to take hold. And things aren't going to work the same the way as they do as you get older. And then we're all going to die someday. And we will, if we're found in Christ, be with him forever. And that spiritual life will go on. And that's the beautiful thing is that training for godliness, as Paul talks about it, has value now and for the life to come. Um, I think about this a lot when I think about Mary and Martha. So if you remember the story, uh, Jesus was uh, coming to their home and Martha was just the consummate host. I mean, she was very, very good at hosting. And so she was busy doing all kinds of things, preparing, cleaning, making all these things ready and just, just really going to town, working hard to be a good host for when Jesus came. And if you remember the story, Mary just simply sat at Jesus's feet and was with him. That's all. Just was with him. And Martha was getting kind of salty about this, right? She's like, why is Mary not helping? What's going on? All these things need to be done. And Jesus did not scold Martha for being a good host. Didn't scold her for doing the dishes or preparing a good meal. But he said this, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen what is better. And that's my challenge to you this year. Of all the things you could do with your time, with your goals, with your talent, with your treasure, will you be accused of choosing what is better? Or will you settle for something that's just good, which becomes an enemy of what could be great? And so we're going to dive into a couple of spiritual keystones in 2022 that I can promise you will cause the greatest impact over the abundance of your life by doing these two things. The first keystone is this, more of God's word in your life this year. More of God's word in your life this year. Um, 1 Timothy 3.16, this is not on the screen and it won't be in your notes, but I'm referencing it because it's important. So Timothy is uh, being talked to by Paul again, and, and it says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in all righteousness. But the most important thing to consider here is that all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, if you have joined me already, which over a couple hundred of you have, uh, in the reading plan for this year, what you saw yesterday on January 1 was in the reading plan, uh, Genesis chapter 1 was talked about in the creation story. And you see uh, God creating plants and animals and mankind. And Adam was literally a clump of dirt. And in Hebrew, his name means earth. And so you have this clump of dirt. And how did Adam get life? God breathed his breath into his nostrils and animated Adam. He gave him life through breath. So while you know, and I know, that if we stop breathing physically, we will cease to exist, spiritual breath 
is of equal, maybe even of greater importance. In fact, if scripture is God-breathed and we fail to have God's word in our lives, consider the impact that will have on your spiritual life. The same thing would happen if you stop breathing physically. It would die. Our spiritual lives require the breath of God, which is the word of God. Um, Psalm 119, 9 through 11, the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, A lot of New Year's resolutions are this. Um, I can think of the top five things that I struggled with last year, and I'm going to choose goals around those, right? It's it's sin fixing. It's, okay, I know that I have this problem and this problem, this problem, so I'm not going to do this, this, and this. And you try really hard to not do the thing that you know you don't want to do because it's sin and it's wrong and it just messes your life up. So you're like, I'm not going to do that. The problem with that is that's not the way to approach it. And the psalmist points that out. He says this, he I've hidden my word in your, hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. He doesn't say, I've tried really hard to stop sinning. <laughs> I've made some goals up about it. I've tried to avoid it. No, he says, I started with God's word because God's word's a keystone. And if you have God's word in your life, your desire for sin is going to change. The obvious nature of what sin is will change. Um, th- this is the problem. We live in a world where it's, it's really easy to see, okay, good and bad, right? And, and I know all the good things and you see the bad things. Well, when you spend time in God's word, you clearly identify the direction that God wants you to go. And so having God's word in your life is a best practice because it prevents sin. Matthew chapter four, um, another story. This is Jesus. And Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan. Now back up a little bit. He had been in the wilderness for 40 days without food. So he's a little hungry and Satan is not dumb. So he goes and he tempts Jesus with food. He says, well, if you are who you say you are, why don't you just command these stones to be bread and they will be bread. And what does Jesus say? The answer is really telling here. He says, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is pointing out that, yeah, while bread is important to live on physically, the word of God is of utmost importance to live on because spiritually is what matters. So the word of God is to be in our lives. The good news is I will help you do this this year. I made a plan. Uh, Actually, I didn't actually create the plan, but I have the plan available for you to use. And that is the one-year Bible plan. Uh, If you have been around our church whatsoever in the last four weeks or have gotten communication, what you have seen is that our church starting yesterday, and if you didn't start yesterday, start today. No no harm, no fall. Just go for it. Uh, We are doing a one-year read through the Bible. Uh, some people may have never read, read through the Bible before. Others may, you know, have read through the Bible. And this is a unique way to do it. The one-year Bible gives you each day a mosaic of different passages to read. So a little bit of Genesis, a little bit of Matthew, uh, some Psalms and Proverbs, what you would have seen when you looked at January 2nd today. And you look through this and it's, it's kind of fun because typically what happens, and I see this a lot and I've been here at times, is you'll start, I'm going to read through the Bible this year and you get excited. And then you get to Leviticus. <laughs> And you're like, I got to check my phone. I got other stuff to do. Oh yeah, I'm late for work. Um, Yeah, that that can tend to be what happens. So I chose a plan that we can go through that will give you a little bit of something every single day for scripture for the entire year. Now, you don't have to do this. If you have a plan already, absolutely go for the plan you have. The point is not the plan. The point is to get more of God's word in your life. 
And the beautiful thing about doing this as a church is there are accountability factors, right? That if you are around people who are also reading God's word and talking about it, it's a continual reminder of, oh yeah, I should do that. That's really important. Or you hear somebody share this or share that, and then you're like, yeah, that's right. I got to remember to read today. It's a wonderful thing to do and be part of as a whole church because our staff and I I made them, I said, hey, if we're going to do this, you guys all have to commit to reading through the Bible in a year with this plan. And they said, yep, we're in. So our entire staff's going through this. And then I challenged them. I said, okay, when you know, you're, you're doing your training for, for the youth ministry or kids, or we're doing stuff for adults, and we got things going around the building, work in what you're reading. Talk about it. Share God's word. And that's what God said to do in Deuteronomy 6. Just talk about it all the time, right? That's the point of what it is. But those are reminders for us. And, uh, and if we don't, as staff, then you guys get to help keep us accountable. It's a fun thing. But it's a, it's a motivational thing. It's a thing where we have a direction because success spiritually, it's not accidental. It is intentional. If we want to be successful spiritually, we have to be intentional with our spiritual lives in order to grow. The question is, are you with me? Are you with me for this year? Will you join me in the one-year Bible? And you can get a physical copy out in the lobby where it literally has the day and the readings right underneath it. So if you know the day of the week and the date, you can be successful at this plan. You just open it up and read what's right there. Or in your bulletin, you have an insert, and there you can read uh, from your own Bible. Or you can go on our app, our website, our church app, and you can find the plan and join me in our app, app there. I've got over like 90, maybe a few more since last service, people on that app. And in there, you can make a comment or underline a verse or make a highlight or a note. And then everybody else in that app gets to see people from our church. So then I get to see, hey, well, so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so said that. And and just reading through that on January 1, I was really encouraged. I'm like, wow, that's really good uh, what they said there. And that's one of the ways that we can do this together. So join me in that. That's my encouragement to you. And my first point is that God's word in your life really is a keystone. And if you want to see dramatic result in the entirety of your life, then get more of God's word in it. You need it to breathe spiritually and you need it to live spiritually. It's a thing. Jesus reveals the second keystone that is critically important. And he does so with a parable. And so I want you to open up to Luke uh, chapter 8. Open up to Luke chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 4. And this keystone is so important that if you miss it, the first one won't have the impact that it could have. Uh, God's word does, is an important ingredient to having an impact in your life and seeing that life change, but this second keystone is incredibly important for making that happen. And here's how it goes in Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear. Let them hear. It would have been really fascinating to be there when Jesus was sharing this parable. In fact, I can almost 
guarantee, just knowing what kind of a master teacher he was, that he was probably standing right next to a plot of ground talking about this. It would have been a common uh, site in, in their day and age. It was very agriculturally driven. Uh, there were lots of plots of land terraced off because their landscape was mostly up and down and still is. Um, and, and so Jesus was just talking about this, talking about something that they all would have seen, right? Very commonplace for a farmer to carry um, a leather bag full of seed and to reach in and grab that seed and just spread it out all over the different soil types and it's there. And then the potential to grow is there for a great garden to come up. I really understand what Jesus is saying to some extent here because I love to garden. Um, Let me preface it by saying this. When I lived in the Twin Cities, I had a small plot and it was super shady. I had a couple of nice white pines I liked and I never got rid of them. So then my garden was always shaded. So I was like, moved up here to Alexandria and I got a 40 by 40 plot in my backyard. My sprinkler system hits it. It gets full sun all day long. And when we were buying the house in the process, the guy had like stalks of corn growing up and huge produce. And I was fired up. I'm like, honey, Look at that. We can grow a huge garden. It's going to be epic. And I was just dreaming of all this was going to be. So the springtime comes and, uh, and I'm just getting excited. You know, I walk to Menards and you know what this is like in the spring. They've got, well, they probably start it now because they're so early, but they got seed packets everywhere. And then all the stuff out for the garden and the hoses and all the garden stuff. And you just get fired up. You're like, I could grow stuff. This will be fun. And on the packages, you know, and I, I go for the most extreme things. So it's like, you know, the pumpkin that grows to be the world record size pumpkin, you know, like over 500 pounds. And I'm like, I want that one. My wife's like, oh, you can't do that. Are you kidding me? There's no way you're going to grow that thing back there. I'm like, just watch me. Challenge accepted. So I'm getting all these, you know, pumpkins and I'm getting all these all crazy vegetables and trying to grow them in my backyard. And, and I just get excited. So I put fence up to keep the animals out and I till the ground and I rake it all nice and make the mounds for all the different things I'm growing and I plant it. And then I step back and I'm like, yeah, this is good, right? Like there's a, there's a good thing about this and it looks really nice and it's exciting. But then, you know, summer starts creeping in <laughs> and uh, you barely have time in Alexandria to get out in the lakes for like eight weeks by the time they thaw and then refreeze. And so it's kind of like, well, um, the lake's calling and I think I'm going to go there this weekend and spend some time on the water or, hey, let's go camping as a family or I'll go hiking or go do some stuff outside. And before I know it, it's about June and my garden doesn't look like it did when I planted it. <laughs> It looks a lot different, right? Because all of a sudden, uh, the animals have found a way into my fence some way, shape, or form, and they really do mow this stuff down pretty cleanly and quickly. And then whatever else is left in there that I didn't plant starts growing, and it just looks like a total mess. Every year, for the last three years, I get really excited in the beginning, and by the time October rolls around, it's just a pile of weeds. Like, it's so frustrating to me that this last year... I was ticked. So I went and I got my 20-pound propane tank. I plugged in my, my hose to it, and it has a little flamethrower on the end. And I light that puppy up, and I run out to the backyard. And I'm like, I can't look at these weeds anymore. I'm torching them. So I lit that thing up, and there was a huge fire. And my neighbors may or may not have called the, the police on me. Um, but there was this massive fire, and I was like, oh, retribution. Finally, my garden's dead. And I was just oh, so frustrated that the thing never grew. But I was really the problem. <laughs> it was me right? Like I was the one who didn't take care of it as it should have been because it had all the potential in the world to grow. And Jesus talks about these four different types of soils in here. He talks about the hard ground, right? That if you put the seed down someplace you didn't till or you didn't do well to maintain it so that it could take root and grow, it's a prime target for things to take. Birds come along, grab the seed. Uh, It's just, it's going to get trampled and crushed. You don't throw uh, seed anywhere people walk. It's just not a thing. Then he talked about the rocky soil. 
And the rocky soil is interesting because it starts well, right? So you put the seed in and it starts growing and it gets really excited. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of like a Christian mountaintop experience where you have this moment where you have a great worship time with the Lord or you go on a missions trip and you come back or, or these things happen and you just get this overwhelming sense of presence of God and you get fired up about it and you're like, yeah, that's great. But then with the mountaintop comes the valley, right? You get a couple of weeks after that and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is not what it was two weeks ago. That's the rocky soil. Then the thorny soil is, this is really my problem, it's where, yeah, stuff starts growing. You may have less rocks in there, but everything starts growing in there. The thistles, the weeds. I mean, I don't even know where these things come from. Every year, like, I burn the ground, I put weed killer down, I put plastic down. And this year, that plastic, it turned into a house for mice. Like, I had the entire population of rodents from Alexandria in my backyard living underneath the plastic where the plants grew up. It was super frustrating, but that's kind of how thorny soil works, right? The weeds grew up, pushed the plastic up just enough to create a nice little roof for those mice, and super annoying. But that happened with the thorny soil. That was my issue. And then Jesus talks about the good soil, right? And the good soil is 100 times productive. 100 times productive. If I were to tell you, invest your money here, and you'll get 100 times what you put into it, who wouldn't do that, Right? One multiplies into a hundred. That's something I would do all day long. Super, super productive. And that's how good soil is. You see, we want good soil for our spiritual lives, don't we? Consider that if your life was good soil, how productive you would be spiritually. What would happen? What would transform? And what would change? Well, Jesus explains a little bit of this going on in Luke 8, starting with verse 11. So if you want to look at that with me, it says this. Jesus explains the parables one of the few times he does. This is the meaning of the parable. <laughs> Love when he says that. Wish he did that in a lot more places in the Bible, especially Revelation. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those in the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, and when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on the way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. There are two critical observations I want you to make in this passage. The first one is that the seed is the word of God. Why is that significant? Because the word of God has potential to radically change anything it roots in. Radically change. It has all the potential in the world. There's nothing that's dull or will not work with it. That's never the problem. It's kind of like my garden. I plant seed all day long. The problem is never the seed. <laughs> it's me. Because I'm the soil. The seed is the word of God, and all of us here are the soil. And the beauty in the seed in this illustration is that God is generous. He is planting seed everywhere, even places it may not grow. That's our God. He has unlimited seed with unlimited potential, and he will spread it over the hard path as he will the rocky ground and the thorny soil and the good soil. He puts it all out there for it to grow. But there's a problem. The hard soil, 
the seed really doesn't have a chance. In fact, if your heart is hard and the seed lands on it, God's word lands on it, it's the fastest way to experience spiritual defeat. Satan comes, grabs the seed, done. Gets trampled on, never has a chance. That happens to us sometimes. Our hearts become hard towards God, maybe because of a sin issue, or maybe we're angry at God and we have this falling out or something happens with a a friend or a neighbor or something. We have this tension in our life that promotes hardness of our heart. And when that happens, God's word has no chance to take root in our soil. And then there's a rocky ground. And this rocky ground has no spiritual root. It's that mountaintop experience I explained where, where you have this moment and you're like, yes, this is real. This is exciting. And then you have little bits of hardness creep in, right? Sin issue there, um, a struggle with somebody here, a brokenness here. And you let that stuff kind of creep in and you never address it. And then when times of testing come, because of the rocky nature of that soil, the plants die. Spiritual death happens. And then there's the thorny soil. And this is really my personal issue too. It's competing unproductive plants, right? And the text says this specifically, worries, riches, and pleasures. Now I want to preface it by saying this. God gave us a lot of good things to enjoy in this life. The problem is not money. The problem is not having hobbies like hunting or fishing or sports or, or crafting or whatever you like to do. There's, those, aren't, those aren't bad things. The problem is when we let other things in our life that are not the word of God grow bigger and stronger than the word of God in our life, it'll choke out God's word every time. And that is where this is such a struggle for me and a struggle for our culture. We have numerous ways to entertain ourselves. Numerous. I mean, I I remember a day, and maybe some of you do, when we used to actually watch TV and not have a phone out at the same time. (laughs) right? And now, like, I look around the other day, and like, all my kids are on their tablets. I'm on my phone. My wife's on her phone, and we're watching TV. And I'm like, wow. Like, entertainment is so much in our face today. It's hard to avoid, right? And then we get hobbies, and we get things to do, and and those aren't bad things. That's not what I'm saying. But when the things of this world grow bigger in our life than the Word of God, that's when it chokes out our spiritual maturity. It just does. It's a principle. It will always happen. Jesus names it, and I'm saying it out loud. In our lives, we have to take the time to weed, (laughs) to say, you know what? I think I should listen to my Apple reminder when it says my screen time went up this last week. Unless that screen time was spending more time in God's word and less time on whatever else, I got to pay attention to that. Because far be it for me that Jesus would ever accuse of me for choosing what was not better, right? Not not bad things. Bad things are things I can easily identify and ignore. I know what sin is and I avoid it. It's the good things in life that tend to choke out the best things in life. And that's where Jesus is going there. And then there's the good soil. And the good soil is the soil that is absolutely productive. A hundred times over productive. In fact, The good soil, and catch this, the good soil is not the default soil. It doesn't happen just by default. You're not born with it. It's not what happens. Like in my yard, I have to till. I have to weed. I have to take the rocks out. It's not the default that it's already just good. It's just not. We live in a broken world where things happen. And in our lives, it's not about the default soil. We have to develop it. (laughs) That's the hard work. 
of the Christian faith. It's developing the soil. It's not about being more religious or showing up to church every day of the week or even reading the Bible in a year. Don't get me wrong. Those are all good things and they're things we need to practice. But if our hearts are hard, they won't ever take root in our lives. They have potential to because God's word has unlimited potential. But unless our hearts are prepared to receive it, we never will. The first keystone ingredient is God's word, and the second is the keystone activity, which is to prepare the soil of your heart. And you have to do this. And the beautiful thing is, I can get you halfway there. I can give you the plan. And, and you can see the day, and you may hear me talk about it if I get the chance to preach again, and, and soon you'll, in other, other areas of the church will talk about this a lot, and, and, and these are all things we'll bring up all the time. But I can't make your heart prepared for you. I can't do that for you. You have to do it. Um, I, I heard this quote, and this quote's really stuck with me for, for a long time. Um, it's that maturity does not come with age. Maturity comes with the acceptance of responsibility. Let me say that again. Maturity does not come with age. Maturity comes with the acceptance of responsibility. You know when I learned how to be an adult? <laughs> The first time I came home from that hospital with a human being, <laughs> and I had to, whether I liked it or not, accept the responsibility of another human life. And I've watched as God has built earthly maturity in me through the things I've had to accept in responsibility, whether it be the weight of being a pastor at a church and the spiritual weight of that, or leading in a study or parenting or being a husband. But imagine, as we accept responsibility for our own spiritual lives, that is where spiritual maturity comes from. Don't be deceived, church family. Don't be deceived that your pastor can make you spiritually mature, that attending Bible studies will make you spiritually mature, that going through a reading plan will make you spiritually mature. It is when you accept the responsibility of being disciplined to develop your heart to receive God's word that you then will grow. Otherwise, the thorns choke out those plants and they will not come to maturity or the roots will not grow on the rocky soil or maybe your heart's hard and it won't even take root. But what I want to leave you with today, uh, besides those two keystones of being in God's word and having a prepared heart to receive it, is this promise in Ezekiel. And I, and I love it. God is, God's black and white. He's straightforward in here. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 11, what happened was uh, up to this point, the people had devoted themselves to other things besides God. Then God caused the exile to happen, and it was very painful, and a lot of people suffered from that. And now these people are left broken, and God comes along and makes them a promise. And he says this, starting with verse 19, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart, from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They, then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. The deciding factor in our spiritual lives, it's not about church attendance. It's not about getting through the one-year Bible. The deciding factor is our heart's devotion to the God of this universe. And I say that to you because, you know, many of us will start strong this January with maybe with some spiritual goals that we get frustrated with. I'm going to invite people every month to join the Bible reading plan. 
Because if you miss a week, you miss a day, just keep moving forward. Start with what day is today and move forward. The point isn't perfection. The point is that our hearts are soft towards God and we bring the word of God into it. Because it is then we will be transformed and God meets us there. I believe that what God said in Ezekiel, he has that same, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he has that same desire to help us be undivided in our devotion. But we have to choose the direction. And if we choose the direction to walk towards God, then he will come along and reinforce that. Give us the heart we need to receive it. And as we develop the soil of our heart, we will see hundredfold production in our lives. It's a keystone activity. You do this and your entire life over multiple areas will be changed. God's word and a ready heart will yield great results. God's word and a ready heart will yield great results. So are you with me this year? Are you with me? I'm not trying to set you up to do one more thing that you have to put in your new years and do this. I'm telling you, these are important things to do if you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that we should follow as he said to follow. Because if he did, he's calling us to spiritual maturity and we need to accept the responsibility of heading in that direction. And church family, this is the direction we're going to go in. Get in God's word and work the soil of your heart. Maybe it's you have to join a group this year. Get in a small group. I lead a couple of men's groups. There's on Tuesday night, there's going to be groups all over this church. There's going to be men's groups, women's groups, a uh, marriage study that my wife and I are leading. Get into those kinds of groups. Get around people. Have discussion with other people about the word of God, but don't do nothing. Because these things will have impact over your entire life. So rise to the challenge that God is calling you to. Get into the word and prepare the soil of your heart. Would you bow with me as we pray? God, I am sometimes really humbled when I look closely at my life and realize there's some areas of thorns and definitely a spot or two of rocks or hardness in my heart where I am not allowing your word to take root. God, I pray that in my life and the lives of those who attend this church and call Alexandria their home, this community and this church family, God, that you would soften our hearts, help us to choose to go your direction, to remove the bad areas of soil and continue to receive your word in new ways, God. Work on our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.